I think that uh, most of you know, that know me, know my preaching style is I use my whole body to try to paint a picture sometimes. I, I don't know exactly to say it, except you just kind of, and that's kind of how I worship too. You know, you, you want to be able to, to be more than stationary. It's hard for me to do that, and sometimes there are just certain songs that cause you to move a little more, and I hopefully... Uh, that's the case. And hopefully when you come here this morning, as I even prayed earlier and just the Lord prompted me that, man, when I walk out of here week in, week out, that my question is not, how did everybody else do to move me today? Did they do their job well enough that I got moved? That they did the right songs and they did the right, it struck the chord, so now I'm moved. Boy, I sure hope that's not why you come. And I understand, if you don't know Christ, you walk in. I, you walk in with a different set of lenses. I get that. You walk in going, okay, what, what about these people? What's happening here today moves me to think that maybe, maybe I need to ask more questions. Maybe there's something here. Maybe there is a draw to hit this whole thing. That's different. I did that for about six months visiting churches. Some churches, boy, I X'd off pretty quick. <laughs> I did back in my 20s when I was looking. But if you're a believer and you've been following Christ a long time, boy, I sure hope you walk out of here. First, I hope you walked in prepared, preparing yourself to walk in this room today. But when you walk out not asking, how did everybody else do? But, Lord, how did I do? How, how did I do today in worship, telling you how much you're worth to me? Regardless of everything else. Just so happened today, our subject in Chasing Daylight is influence. <clears throat> Let me read a passage of scripture that we've been reading for the last few weeks around this topic. John 9, 4, 5, these are Jesus' words. <clears throat> as long as it is day... We must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, as we've said over and over, this implies an urgency. While it is still light, while there is a window of time, let's chase that light. Let's chase that daylight. Let's get all of it in we can. In this window of time, we've been allotted. We've talked about it here before. You know, if you, <clears throat> if you really thought about what our, if we have the opportunity to live to be 80 or 90 years old, if we really had the, had the scope of, of eternity in, our, in front of us, that 70 to 80 to 90 years, whatever that might be, would just be a blip. James says it's a mist. We're only here for a while. We only have a shot for a moment, really. So what are we doing with that? What do we do with that time that we have here? Last week we talked about, over the last few weeks, I have two out of the last three weeks, I've talked about Jonathan and 1 Samuel. I won't camp on that today, but just to remind you that Jonathan was one of those guys who, who yeah, operated with a level of uncertainty, but he wasn't paralyzed by that uncertainty. And that's... And he knew that he had to move with God. If God was moving, he had to figure out how to follow him. He had to see where God was working. had to go join God where he was working. 
And the statement I said last week that you cannot advance the kingdom of God with people who are in retreat. So Jonathan had to look. He looked around and he saw, he knew his armor bearer. And his armor bearer trusted him. And he says, when his armor bearer made the decision to go with Jonathan, I don't think he thought about it very long. He just knew Jonathan. Jonathan said, we're going over there. He made the statement, I am with you, heart and soul. If we're going to be people of influence, one of the places that we know we're going to have to touch on, and I'm not going to talk in depth with it today, but one of the things that you know you can get people to follow you is those who are committed with all their heart and soul. It's hard to move people there. You, you won't do it just by words. You will do it by living it out in front of Jonathan, no doubt, lived it out. But I love what Andy Stanley says in his book, Next Generation Leaders. says, leaders instill courage in the hearts of those who follow. This rarely happens through words alone. It generally requires action. It generally requires movement, advancement, something you're doing. Because a sermon heard is soon forgotten. Believe me, I know that. I don't even remember what I preached two weeks, you know, sometimes. But a sermon seen is never forgotten. Renovation mission statement, the vision statement as we've shared many times here, but I shared with you last week, is to raise up influencers through spiritual transformation to be salt and light where we are engaged and influential. To raise up influencers. Many years ago, I, I read a statement close to this, but it did, I don't know if I've got it word for word, but this is how I ended up formulating it in my mind and paraphrasing it, is the greatest impact on the future, this is 20 years ago, or longer. The greatest impact on the future will not be technology, even though we know technology has impacted our culture in ways that we can't even fathom or we don't even know, really, maybe till a generation or two down the road, how much it's impacted. But my statement is this <clears throat> the greatest impact on the future will not be technology. The greatest impact on the future will be the void of great influencers. Look at our culture, look at who we elect, look at who's leading here and there, even in our homes. The void of great influencers. I still believe is the greatest impact on our culture today. And there's all kinds of ways to try to influence. And For example, if you're raising your children, if you've got children and you... And, and the, and that's the case, hopefully, hopefully you're trying to influence them and to do right actions, to do, live a certain way. Hopefully your life, not just words, but hopefully in your home you're trying to live in such a way, or not even wherever you are, not just in your home, but when they see you, you're trying to live in such a way. But the word influence, as we know, can come with very self-centered motives. It can come for the reason of power. It can come for the reason of manipulation. But <clears throat> and that's the dark side of influence, is the side of manipulation, where you're doing it to control others for personal gain. But let me say this, and I want to read it, because I just want you to understand, when we talk about influence here, I want you to, I hope you hear what I'm saying. Our goal of influence here at Renovation is not for people to act like us. Our hope is, is that people will not watch our lives and want to be more like us. Our hope is that when people watch our lives and hear our words, they will want to be more like Jesus. 
Please hear what I'm saying. When we say influence here, it is not so, hey, I'm going to do this so you'll be more like me. I hope my life is in such a way that someday, somewhere, you will want to be more like Jesus because of the life I'm living. That's what we mean by influence. And that's, I think, a huge distinction. Not because we said it, just because I think that's what sets it apart. But for some reason, I've said it a hundred times here, for some reason, Christ decided to use us as his plan to influence the world, which again, I've said, I think is a bad plan. But he chose to use human beings. He chose to use us. But it's to be a channel, a window to him. And the remarkable thing to me, you know, I used to, I used the term leader, uh, be the void, of, the void of great leaders. But one of the things I have found over the years as I've taught on leadership is that if you're not careful, people have a tendency to opt out of leadership. They have a tendency when you talk about leadership, they go, well, I'm not in that position to lead. I've never, I don't have the seniority or I don't have whatever it may be, the pedigree, I don't have the money, I don't have, whatever it may be that you're saying, that you're opting out the title, whatever it is. But influence is a different deal. We all have the ability to influence. Because influence in itself, leadership positions, I realize, can come and go and can be given for reasons that don't even make sense many times. You can have a child and you have no ability to lead them, but now all of a sudden you're a leader. You can be 18 years old, and all of a sudden now you're a father or a mother or whatever that is. You have no idea how to lead. You don't know how to lead your own life. But all of a sudden you're a leader. So there's different ways people get put in leadership, but influence every one of us. Five-year-olds that we teach back here in, in, in Reno Kids and around this campus have the ability to lead. I have the ability to influence. So it's critical to us that we have the distinction of why we use that term. The great thing about it is it can be learned, especially when we begin to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through Christ. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, we've used this just even recently, but I believe it describes Christ's desire for us. <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I think one of the number one problems of our church today is not location. Our number one problem is not technology. Our number one problem we've come upon is irrelevance. When towns used to be built years and years ago, the, the church was one of the first things to be built on the city square. And now we're on the edge of town. Maybe. When I say edge of town, we build them in different in, in, in neighborhoods. I get that. But I'm talking about from a psychological is our culture, we're on the edge of town. They may come to us at times in crisis. They may come to us at times of, of when, when they don't know where else to turn and just see what the church has to say. But that is not the first place they come to anymore. 
And I think the big reason of that is we've, salt, we've lost our saltiness. We've lost our light. But I do believe when the church is salt and the church is light, I do believe the culture listens. But for whatever reason, especially over these last 50 years, we've lost the ability to be salt and light. And what I love about this passage of Scripture, when it comes to influence, Jesus didn't say, you'll be like kings and rule over people, or you'll be like lions, or you'll be like eagles and soar. No, he said, you'll be salt and light. Salt was one of the most common substances in the ancient world. Roman soldiers were paid in salt and revolt if they didn't get their ration. Our English word for salary comes from the Latin word salarium, which means salt money. Our expression, that man is not worth his salt, now tells you he's not worth what we're paying him. (laughs) So the high value of salt was critical in biblical times. And we could spend a lot of time, and I won't this morning, just talking about the fact that it's preservative. It gives flavoring or seasoning. I, uh, one passage of Scripture we, in our Uncommon group we memorized last year is, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That your conversation with outsiders, the Word says, to be to seasoned with salt. It also causes thirst. And you've heard it say you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But I know by raising horses as a a teenager and and as a young person, if you feed them enough salt, they'll eventually drink. Light dispels darkness. Light purifies. Light awakens. Light reveals. Light to be salt and light. And a question we've asked here many times, and we've asked other churches, but let's say it about Renovation Church. If Renovation Church was gone tomorrow, would anyone care besides the people in this room? And this day and age of people moving from church to church, I'm not even sure in this room it matters as much as it used to. If you were gone tomorrow, would anyone miss you? Really? How easy are you to be replaced in people's lives? See, I believe being missed when you're gone is a worthy objective. Not from pride, not from arrogance, not from... I believe living a life in such a way that when you are no longer here, it is a worthy objective to people say, how are we going to replace them? Not in their sadness, not in their, how can we move along? I don't mean that. But just in the sense that, man, they left such a hole because of the influence and impact they made on our lives and other people's lives. We miss them. I think it's a worthy goal of a church. As a community of believers, if we were gone tomorrow, it would matter. It really would matter to the people around us.
For over 20 years, I've done this kind of test or kind of this exercise with groups of people younger and older, teenagers, college students, older. Just having them taking a marker board and just putting them up there and just saying, give me traits of great influencers, those in your own life, but those you, you know about. And we were just marking them. Sometimes there's 10, 15, 20 things that we believe, okay, if that person is going to be a great influencer, boy, those are things you would look for. But then I asked the question, what are the advancements in technology over the last 20 years? And you list all those. And it's unbelievable when you start talking about the last 20 years, the advancement of technology. It actually blows your, blows your mind because some of you think, well, we've always had that. No, we haven't. Even the last, it's moved that fast in the last 20 years. Some of the things, even from email, not many of us used it much 20 years ago. We used it some. Uh, you know, maybe in your business you had to, but for the most the general population, it was email of all things. You think that's like like, you know, 1890 or something. No, we're talking about 1990, mid-90s, how much we've moved with technology. But the reality is this. And the question I come back, how much has technology changed the traits of what great influencers are? And the reality is they haven't changed it at all. As much as we've advanced in the last 20 years, the traits of great influencers are the same as they were 20 years ago. Now, does it help to be an influencer to have no technology? Yeah, sure. But the core traits don't change. One of those I love, and I, and I believe this is the case with Jonathan's armor bearer, was that he trusted Jonathan, and he trusted the God that Jonathan trusted. And trustworthy people, I believe, are surrounded by people who trust them. Trust, trust is more than being able to just tell the truth. We've talked about it in, in some of our teachings. It's more than just being able to trust you with my money, trust you with my car, trust you with my wife, trust you. It's when you can trust a person's values. And you've watched them long enough and know they are rock solid. You can trust their decisions in life. And you've watched them. Even sometimes, if, even if they're uncertainty and they find out later that decision wasn't good, you realize their heart for trying to make the right decision, even if it turns out being the wrong one, you trust that. You trust their motives. But when someone can trust your motives, you have a great chance of influencing them. Not for your good, but for their betterment. That's why they trust your motives. They don't trust your motives because they just think you're trying to build yourself. They trust your motives. I'll tell you, the person who should have the most influence on me is the person who has my best interest at heart. But that's not always the case. In our uncommon training, we use a term called ethos. And it's that spontaneous reoccurring pattern that is the character and spirit and soul of a person.
It's what drives them. It's what compels them. And we maybe talk about that more in a few weeks, about that drive and that, that why you get up every day. Part of mine is, I'll just tell you, mine is, is the whole concept around influence. As I came and sat with this board six years ago before we closed the church all the way down and started all over again, one of the questions, as I said last week, I, I, Jan and I believed we were on a mission and it is to raise up influencers. We just didn't have an address yet. And that's what I told that board as I met with them. I just know what God's telling me to do, but what, God, what is stirring in my heart does not have an address. And as we talked about last week, people on a mission, people on a, you don't just find missionaries one day and all of a sudden they go, oh, I'm a missionary and I go somewhere. No, you, missionaries are people who are already on a mission and then God changes their address. God gives them geography. Mark Batterson says in his book, The Circle Maker, talking about wanting to be an influencer, wanting to have the favor of God on his life. He said, the longer I live, the more I crave the favor of God. So the greatest moments in life are the moments when, you, when God intervenes on our behalf and blesses us way beyond what we expect or deserve. It's a humble reminder of his sovereignty. God's favor enables you to stand before those who would naturally stand in opposition to you, but they supernaturally step aside or stand behind you. But God's favor. One of the things I believe is a great trait, besides being trustworthy, is that to be a person of influence, you've got to believe that God can change people's lives. See, great influencers don't just assume because a person has acted a certain way for so long or they've done certain things for so long, just because they've acted that way or done those things that they can't change. Because otherwise, to me, if we didn't think people could change, what is the reason for influence? We all know that people can change for the worse. I, I, one of the illustrations I use is the fact that as a parent, if you are a parent in here, you, you fear this and you've maybe had this happen to you, that somewhere between ages 16 and 20, a teenager specifically at that time in a young adult, overnight, if not over a few nights, a person or a group of people can have more influence on your child, even though you've put a roof over their head you have fed them, you put, bought them an iPhone, you have put them in club sports, you've done all those things. But overnight, someone else or someone else, a lot of people can have more influence in one night. We know people can change for the worse. We know people can go down a road. They were not this at one time, now they're that. But why is it so difficult for us to believe they can go the other way? But it seems to be. See, Jesus hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with tax collectors. But what I love about Jesus, he never left them the same. He influenced their lives. They were different people because they had been with Jesus. A woman caught in adultery. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus, they were never the same again. 
I grew up in the car business in a small town in Arkansas, town of 400, I think it's 400 and something now, maybe a little more than that, I don't know now, but it was, I think, two to 300 at the time I was raised there. My dad owned a car business. We raised cattle, we raised pigs, we raised horses, different things. Uh, but one of the things we did uh, there at the car, uh, on our car lot was, and it's decent size, we sold some new cars, we sold a lot of used cars, was so many people who lived near us all, almost all drove on dirt roads to some degree. They, they just almost had to in order to live in that town, even though we had a highway, okay, no, no traffic lights, but we had stop signs. Uh, but there were a couple of highways, but mostly people lived out on dirt roads. And one of the things you had to learn how to do early on in the car business was, was what we called seeing through the dirt. Because when people would come to trade that car in, you were not going to be able to see the car the way you wish you could. You saw the car the way that they were trying to get rid of it. Okay, but what I thought was great was over the years is that when we would take those cars and really just detail them out many times, really we'd have to pull all the upholstery out of the interior, literally pull everything out of it to start all over again and clean. And they would come by like two weeks later and they'd go, well, if I'd known the car would look, look like that, I've never traded it in. <laughs> hey, I don't know what to tell you. That's helped me over the years of seeing through the dirt. I've flipped houses off and on over the last decade, seeing through the dirt. But one of the things I think it's helped me in my, my walk as a Christian, most of all, but even as a pastor, is being able to look at people's lives and say, I believe they can. I believe it's in there. We just got to figure out how to pull it out. We got to figure out how to overcome and not by our own power, but through the power of Christ. But there's a possibility that change can happen. Two decades of my experience with teenagers and leading students and raising four children to adulthood. It's always been a balance of grace and truth, right? I mean, you have to walk that out. I, as I would talk about it, I would... It was the arm around their neck and nose to nose. That was our phrase we used in ministry, is that we would love on them, but we were not going to mess around about this. Time is ticking. We're chasing daylight. I only have you for a certain length. One thing you learn in youth ministry is you only have them for a window. It's not like you're going to get to maybe adults who maybe stay at your church for the next 15 to 20 years or whatever. With teenagers, you've got a window. And you better step into that window and invest in their lives in a way that's most helpful to them so it's what we tried to do. And my, my saying to them was, I'm not near as concerned of what you think of what, what you think of me at 16. I'm more concerned of what you think of me at 36. It just so happened a few weeks, a few months ago, I was back in Texarkana, had a young man call, email me as I was flying, I guess, to Little Rock. And, uh, and I got the emails. I got off the plane and he said he needed to meet with me. And I hadn't heard from him, I think, in 20 years. And so I just had an open time. I wasn't there very long, there to see my family. And uh, so I had lunch with him. And what was interesting was, at the lunch, he said, you know, because he's 36 years old now. He said, you know, even 20 years ago, he said, I know you pushed us, and at the time I pushed back. But I want to thank you for pushing us. And I remember these sermons. I'm going, dude, how do you remember that? I can't remember what I preached a month ago. And you're remembering... But you're just trying to leave an impact of what someday. Not just in that moment, but someday. That that seed may sprout. 
But let me say this to you if you want to be an influencer. Change is required. For some of you recently, you've just started this journey of following Christ. I know what that's like, man. Being... Being dysfunctional in a mess and not saved. Saved and still dysfunctional in a mess. Y'all get an amen? Just the saved part of committing my life to Christ didn't change all the dysfunction and mess, but it gave me hope to change. But before, I had no hope of changing. So I just want to encourage you. If you've been following Christ, say, just recently, and you feel like you just feel a mess and dysfunctional, join the club. But what you do know is something changed. And that's what I knew. That's why I kept chasing it's why I kept asking. It's why I kept moving. It's why I kept advancing. Oh, yeah, there was uncertainty. Like I told you before, I, the, only, the reason why it took me so long to step across that line, if you will, of walking down that aisle that Sunday to pr- publicly give my life to Christ many years ago was because the only Kurt Gentry I had known up for that 27 years was this dysfunctional mess. I didn't know what Christ, there was a huge uncertainty of what Christ would now do. But I had to operate in uncertainty. Changes we began to make in our home, for me personally, eight, six, eight months in, one was alcohol, went completely out of our house, and it's never, it's just not a part of our, my life. I just, I've just made a decision. It's not going to be a part of my life because of my kids. Now, I'm not putting that on you. All I'm saying is I began to look at things going and asking the questions about what is a stumbling block for my children. And we've continued to try to do that from shows to everything. You know, again, you can be legalistic about it, but that was not my intent. My intent was to, to help influence my children and keep maybe some of the mess and dysfunction because that was part of my mess and dysfunction, believe me, over here. And for a while, over here. For some of you, your advancement is being baptized in the next few weeks. You're writing your testimony. You don't realize, and I'm not trying to freak you out, so please understand what I'm about to say. You don't realize that your testimony, even in baptism, can change, be faith builders for people who have been Christians for 30 years because God's doing something new, God's still moving. And when we don't hear that, and when we don't know that God is still changing lives, sometimes we get stuck, wondering ourselves. You don't realize by you taking that step of faith to be baptized in a public setting, even though it's, it, it's, it, we're going to be a part of communion here in a minute, and how those sacraments are so sacred to us, but you don't realize the impact you can have on people who have been following Christ a long time. Even if you're still saved, dysfunctional, in a mess.
But I want to tell you this. If you become an influencer, and that includes parents, whoever you are, and you decide that you want to be a person people can trust, you want to be a person who can believe in people and know that God can. He may not, they may not decide to, obviously. You can believe all you want to, but it's still their choice. I get that. But I will never, and I hope you don't, ever apologize for challenging people to continue to grow and advance in their faith. I don't want to ever be a part of a church who apologizes to people for challenging them to move forward through the influence of what we're trying to do here. I hope we never become that place. It's like never challenging your child to walk. What kind of parent would that be? You must be willing to change to become an influencer. To, as an influencer, you must be willing to challenge people to change. But you don't just do it by words. You do it by the way you live your life. A sermon heard is soon forgotten. But a sermon seen is never forgotten. As we go to time of communion, Josiah and him can come on up as we close. Many years ago, I shared this story. Many years ago, Brother Paul Holderfield shared this story, and I hope I get it right every time I share it. But he's telling the story about a man who, as he was raising his kids, he would say, you know, kids, I hope as you're living in this home all these years, I hope that you get me and Jesus confused sometimes. Now, he wasn't saying that as becoming a deity, okay? Becoming a God himself. He was saying that I live in such a way that you would think as if Jesus Christ himself lived with you. The story goes as he had done that for many years and finally his kids grew up and his son, this is in the 60s, and his son was going off to war. They were out on the tarmac as his son was going to uh, go into the plane, as his son walked off, and they're standing there, and his son turns around and comes back and hugs his dad. and said, Dad, I just want you to know, I still get you and Jesus confused sometimes. And that was the last really words he ever had with him, my understanding. We want people to see Jesus. He chose to use us to get there for some crazy reason. We want to be a place where the best possibility or at least trying to create an environment where that's a possibility for you to do it the best you can. Pray for us. Because if the void of great influencers is the biggest challenge, that means it is a big challenge. Why shouldn't it come from the church? Why shouldn't the church be raising them up? Why not? Just stand with me. One of the opportunities we have here together as we, as a family, as part of the community, is to observe one of our holy sacraments around the table here in the Lord's Supper.
way we do that here, if you are here for the first few times, if you haven't been a part of this, we ask that you logistically real quick, just to come down these aisles here, come to the table, you'll take the bread, dip it in the cup, and partake of it here at the table, or you can take it back, either one, we'll, you can do it that way, then you can come back down the middle and return to your seat, and we'll, we'll close right after that. the Lord on the night he was betrayed he was with those disciples knowing he knew but he gave an example Paul later writes for us to examine ourselves before we partake to ask ourselves do we understand and remember the life that was given for us. The blood that was shed to set us free. Let me pray for us. Lord, we come to you today knowing that around this room there's some that maybe have just come to know Christ recently. Lord, I pray that they would participate today. Even if they feel unworthy, Lord, we all do. But Lord, coming today and know with great hope and remembrance of what you have done for us, the gateway, the way to truth and to freedom. Lord, I pray that you bless this time right now, Lord. We believe it's a holy moment as we do this together as a family. Let me thank you again for the opportunity to meet together for special moments like this in your name. We pray this, Jesus. Amen. You come as you feel led this morning.